Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast that I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Stephen. Every week I'm joined by one very special guest where we want to educate you into showing you it's not about the way that you look, but actually the way you feel, the way you think. This podcast is sponsored by Jennings & Co. Financial Planning, making financial planning easy to understand. For more information, go to jenningsfp.co.uk. So this week, my guest is Tulsi Vagiani. You won't have heard Tulsi's story before, but it's a story which I thought was really, really important to tell you. She was 10 years old back in 1990, and she was on a plane crash, and her mum, her dad, and her brother were all travelling from India. They died, she survived. Just, what do you do? What do you do when you're in a situation like that where you've lost all your family in one big go? Your family that are your unit, the unit that holds you together. I can't ever imagine that happening to me. And it happened to someone, it happened to Tulsi. She also suffered 45 degree burns and she found it really hard to get a job afterwards because of the way that she looked, even though she was intellectual, even though she was one of the most caring people that I know. So you're going to hear Tulsi's story. Now, it is a hard listen at times and you may want to pause the podcast and come back to it later on. But I really do encourage you to listen to the whole thing. It is so important that you hear Tulsi's story. And also you see how when something so bad happens, actually there can be a light at the end of the tunnel and you can put the bad things that have happened to you to good use. So I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let you hear from Tulsi. And I started by asking Tulsi to take me back to that pivotal day back in 1992. So 1990, I was on holiday with my parents in India, visiting my great granddad. And we took three months out of our sort of schedule at home. We were going to tour the whole of India. Me and my brother wanted to go to Goa, but my parents wanted to go to Bangalore. And literally life just changed overnight. 14th of February 1990 is when my story began. I was involved in a plane crash in Bangalore and I lost my mum, my dad and my brother. And that's when life was taking a whole new turn for me. Why do you think you were on that aeroplane? And why do you think you survived, but your parents and brothers didn't? There's so many reasons you can put it down to. Um, 
it's funny a friend of mine just sent me this little diagram of where it's safe to sit on a plane and like I'm thinking was I sat there but in hindsight you know that's all easy to speculate but I think I've got a greater purpose and there's a reason why I survived and my family didn't because where I was sitting I was right between my dad and my brother anyway so if anything I've just got just as much chance of passing away as they did or surviving. But I think there was a greater purpose to my survival than just surviving. I think it's to show that against all odds, you can make it out alive and you can do something out of a bad situation. And I think whatever life throws at you, you can see it in a positive light. Like it seems dire at the time. I always say this, like at the point of something, you're a victim. But what you choose to do after it, you become a survivor. And I decided that I wasn't a victim of a plane crash. I was a survivor of one. And I just feel like life has just thrown me so many curveballs where I've just survived. It's amazing to think like that. And it's so hard as well at the same time to think that you're on a plane with three people who know you best, who you rely on for so much. And to lose that support system all in one go, to lose your parents in one go where you had no preparation for it. When you landed on that plane and it had crashed, what happened next? Because who did you turn to? How did you know who to turn to? Um, well, yeah, like, it's all chaos. And I suppose, I suppose a saving grace for me is I was unconscious for most of it. And people always ask me, like, do you remember any of it? And I said, no, like as in flashbacks or anything. But what I do remember is my grandma's voice. Now, my grandma, I left back in the UK before we embarked on this travel. So her voice was close to me, like mine and yours is now. And I thought, hang on, why is she here? But maybe in my head, I thought she might be here to surprise us on holiday. But my grandma was really like a stern, strong woman. So, And she's crying. Now, that seems really bizarre for me. And she just says to me, being involved in a plane crash your mum dad and your brother have passed away like what do I do with that you know because in my head I'm still fighting with my brother to sit by the window and he got his way because for the first time I saw like blue skies and green fields and that was really attractive so where we're fighting that's what's going on in my mind but she's telling me this news like as well as crying and then I hear young medic's voice saying there's been a big emergency. All the doctors are out, but I'm going to be looking after you. I remember him saying, it's like my first week here or something out from medical school and he's thrown into this chaos. But I'm thinking, I'm just 10. Like, if I look back on it now, that's a lot to process. But that's all I remember. You were 10 years old. You thought of your brother. Where your brother was sitting could have been you in that. Yeah. How do you... How, how... I know we're jumping ahead. How do you comprehend and, uh, and 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 deal with that that fact that it should it should have been you who was sitting in that seat, yeah, and the effects, and yet it was your brother. Do you have any? I don't want to say the word guilt, but is there that kind of thing of well, it should be me. I shouldn't actually be here. I know we said that. Obviously, you've got a purpose, but do you think still sometimes? I shouldn't be here. This should be my brother. I'm basically, you yeah, know. Yeah, totally. Like, if, I also feel like if we were to survive, I like, I wish I had one person survive survive with me and that would be my brother. But on the other side, like, 
I've made peace with the fact that we were positioned correctly in how it was all meant to be. Like it was orchestrated in such a way. And I don't mean via the airline, by all means. I mean via, like I, I'm very spiritual. So for me, I just feel like it was all orchestrated perfectly that day. Um, whatever purpose they had to fulfill in their life, like I feel they have or they did. Sure, they went prematurely, like as in what a way to go. But like, I feel really blessed that my parents went together and my brother went with them as opposed to in a lonely situation, one going. And I think they knew I was really strong and I just feel like they were rest assured that I'm going to be okay. So out of the four of you, if anyone was to stay alive, it should be you because you're the one who could deal with the trauma and yeah, come back. Yeah, I feel like making peace with that makes me feel a bit more, like it, it feels more right. As a child, I didn't even know what burns looked like um, and not really experienced any kind of burns, not like ironing or cooking or anything. And then to see like my face has changed completely, well, my bo- whole body's changed completely, was a lot to comprehend. But I think in a naive or maybe op- optimistic world, I thought like there's going to be this magic cloth and I'll probably have the scars for about a year and then they'll go. So when I looked at myself in the mirror about, I think it was four to six weeks after my accident, by now I've flown back to the UK um, when I'm shown the mirror, I was so excited because I still felt the same inside. Um, I'm now greeted by my family here in the UK who was coming to see me every day at the Burns Unit, Billericay, Essex. And they're just treating me as me. So to me, I don't think there's anything different. And it's only when I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I actually thought somebody drew that face on because surely that's not me. But as the person in the mirror's eyes and lips are moving well, that's me because that's what I was doing. And when I looked down at my hands, my hands were bandaged and I could see some of my raw scars. I'm like, wow, something has happened. But like I feel at that time, I did think like this magic cloth was just going to wipe them away and that's the end of it. Do you see a difference in the way you look at yourself now compared to the way you used to look at yourself? I mean, obviously you're only 10 years old at that point, but do you look at yourself differently to the way you looked at yourself when you were 10 years old? Oh, completely, yeah, like... It's really odd you say that because about three, four days ago, I did a post about an old picture, pretty much fresh after my accident. And I look back on that and I just think, wow, like I wish I wasn't hating at that, self-loathing at the time. I wish I was more kinder to myself because that's a child who's lost her family. That's a child who has endured all this pain and suffering. And I just want to nurture that child rather than what I was feeling at the time was self-loathing and is it going to get better because of the bullying and the way people stared and made me feel like I'm not part of this society. So I think looking back on that, I realised how much I've overcome. But I feel sad like there wasn't that person to nurture that child at that time. Being 10 years old, obviously you don't know too much about mental health and suicide and if even if suicide exists what mm-hmm. it is did you ever feel suicidal or did it take longer in time to actually feel suicidal because you were so young at the time yeah like i don't think it was that early that i felt it but i did feel really isolated um because even going to hospital after like being discharged when you go to um outpatients it's not like hey come and talk to someone it you just go to your appointment and you come home. So again, just feeling quite lonely. And it's not like you walk out your house and you, every other person you see has burns on their face, for example. So 
obviously I'm not fairly represented out in society in that respect. And then I'm just like, how is this going to get better? Like, how does it get better? And how will I be accepted? And it's like cross, people cross the road when they used to see me or they used to throw things at me like to see how I would react or not. They used to call me ugly or you should have died and all of these kind of things. Now, it wasn't in school that I had issues. It was the journey to and from hospital, to and from school. And of course, like my friends just accept me as I am, but they're not going to understand when somebody's staring or saying that. They just think, it's okay, T, you know, they're just a minority, like, or they don't matter, but they're not having to deal with that every day. They've, they've probably got their own insecurities, don't get me wrong, but they're not going to understand what it's like to be judged on face value, not because we all look different, but I actually have a visible scar that makes me stand out just that much more. And I think it wasn't until about 16, 17 that I really thought, if I'm not here, I think that would be a lot easier for all round. You've had to grow up so quickly. Uh, I, I I talk a lot with people about how was I when I became an adult mm. and I pinpoint kind of being I'm 26 now and I think I was only about 24 when I was truly decided right I am an adult now 24 25 how old were you when you became an adult properly I'd say about 34 35 and I'm 40 now so it's taken me that long to feel like I'm actually an adult because one hand I'm this sort of child that's sort of seeking some validation and then the other side is I'm doing all the adult things that you do you know go to work pay rent pay bills all of those type of things but I think when I finally came into my own and accepted fully who I am in terms of scars and all probably about yeah early 30s and what made you accept those scars I think there's a number of things like back in 2006, I got diagnosed with um, end stage renal failure. So I literally, when I got diagnosed, all I heard was you are dying. And that's not what my consultant said. He goes, there are options like you can be on dialysis and you can have a kidney transplant. But I heard you are dying and I thought, I can't go like this. I've, of everything I've been through, you mean I'm going to go bowing down like this? No way. Because you think you owe it to your family, the fact that they all passed away, that you should be living forever effectively? Well, more so like, how is it that I've got this end-stage renal failure and I've had no signs or symptoms, didn't even know anything about it, we've got no family history of it. I'm young, I'm 26 at the time, and I'm I'm in the middle of doing my degree. Like, surely it can't be happening now. And more than that, who's going to look after my grandparents? Because that's who I was staying with and living with. And they're the one who took me on after my accident. So it was like a number of all of those things. Um, but obviously, like, here I am. And I was on dialysis pretty much soon after I got diagnosed. But back in 2009, when I was just when I was about to turn 30, um, I had my kidney transplant. So that's three years on after and life changed because whilst I was, whilst I had the transplant, I was great. Like I was so well. In fact, they discharged me in three days, which is really unheard of. Um, Cause even the doctor said they're probably going to be in for about a week. And I was out in three days, like the way I got out of bed, they just watched me and they're just like, how is she doing this? I guess I was just determined, like I don't want to waste hospital resources and I just want to be home. 
but that wasn't meant to be because I was so ill. I was reacting to a lot of the medications. So there's points like I've had like my last rites read a few times because um, I was in and out of hospital for the whole year. So 2009, I pretty much spent in hospital. And it was one of those nights, you know, if you've ever you stayed in hospital where obviously it's it's lonely, you know, machines are going off wherever they're going off. Some people are crying in pain, but it's just you and your thoughts. And I was like, um, something came to me and um, an image of Krishna came, so like one of the Hindu deities. And I'm not like overly religious or anything. And this image came and it just said, just surrender onto me. And I was just like, what does that even mean? But it just meant for me was whatever I can't control, I need to let go. Because I was being hard on myself on the fact, why am I ill if I'm doing everything right? Like I'm eating well, I'm drinking well. I was doing everything that they're telling me, but they're just as baffled with what's going on with me as I am. And it just it dawned on me that whatever's going to go inside my body, whatever's happening, it is beyond my control. Like, I can drink water and I can eat healthy food and all of that, but what's happening inside is it is beyond my control. I can't on a cellular level tell each cell what to do. And with that principle, I took that out into the whole context of my life where I was just like, my scars were beyond my control, but what is in my control is how I see them. And that's when I was about 31 now, following year, I thought, I am more than my scars. And my scars have never held me back from living in terms of on a health level. Yeah, aesthetically, I might didn't get the job, I didn't get this, or I didn't get the date and whatever else. And that's literally because of your scars that you can get a job even if they're your qualifications. Yeah. And, and what was their excuse? Or did they hide and go, look, uh, you just weren't the right candidate? But you yeah, leave. those kind of things. And, and to be honest, it could be the fact some of it was lack of experience. So I can't put it down to them looking at me on face value. But it did really stop me from looking at the job so I just kind of went into my own business like um, I trained in Pilates and I became an instructor so that meant I didn't have to be employed by somebody else like I was in control of that um, but yeah and then I suppose then I met the Katie Piper Foundation around 2012 and having met Katie and then obviously a few peers at that time not because words were exchanged but I just finally felt you know what if they are doing what they're doing and like trying to make the best out of a, a bad situation and they're growing from it so I can as well like I can do the same and my scars aren't holding me back it's my mindset that's holding me back and that's when I invested heavily on my mindset even more so like I've always had a strong mindset to be able to turn negative into positive but I just couldn't do that little bit related to my scars and I think that goes down to how society views beauty and how we view what's perfect and not and I was carrying a lot of that like a lot of those insecurities I was carrying and then I asked so many other women who don't have a visible scar and guess what they feel the same so there's no difference in having a scar that's visible or invisible we're all going through something you know we're all we're all suffering something so just because someone's scar is not visible doesn't mean they're not suffering right as you know, I'm a massive Love Island fan, and with Love Island, it's all about the perfect bodies, the beach star bodies, the uh, airbrushing that they all do on their pictures, especially reality stars in general. How do you look at those type of people who have gone away so far away from the real them and into the unknown, which you've gone one way and they've gone the other way? 
I don't know. Like, to be fair, like, I haven't really thought about it too much. I mean, I don't watch it. No, just more for the fact that I don't have um, I'm antsy in my pants and I don't sit down and watch TV much. But I just find that sad that in that if you can't be your authentic self, you're always going to be chasing to be someone else. And when are you ever going to find that happiness or contentment? But when I found that in myself, because I wanted to be someone else, don't get me wrong, you know, I wanted to have those scars disappear and I wanted to be that lovely model in the magazine and everything else um, because suddenly society will accept me. But the reality is I had to accept me. And once I accepted me, guess what? Everyone around me accepts me as I am. And whether they like me or not, that's their problem, not mine. I don't need to chase being anyone else anymore. And that freedom I feel inside, a lot of that is anxiety that was building up for me. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I don't have anxiety, because I do. How do you look at your scars now? Do you see them as empowering you? Because having scars is actually more of a positive than it is a negative. The fact that you can look at yourself and do something so good for the world, and that's because you've been given that power. Do you see them as not defining you, but allowing you to be different in a good way not a bad way now oh for sure like i love them and i love all of them <laughs> just the other day i was going for some treatment and um i've got this cyst in my head and the woman goes to me the doctor sorry goes to me i was going to leave you with a scar and i looked and i went it's fine bring it on <laughs> and she's just like so sorry i said that i go no i go i'll be honored to wear it because it's just another sign of a battle that i've gone through but more than that i actually love them because Couple, a couple of years ago, consciously made a um, choice that I'm not going to cover my scars anymore with makeup. And that's from everything, the photo shoots I do to everything. Like, there's an area on my face where you can see quite a bit of scars around my nose and my mouth. And I've actually told my makeup artist when I when I go there that please do not cover this scar because otherwise it's just showing, who, it's hiding who I am. And for me, I always say, like, my scars are like the gems on my body. Like, I've decorated my body with my scars. So that's me taking power back. And that's kind of, like, my identity, really. 100%. It is your identity. What would you call this chapter of your life now? Where are you now in yourself? Um. So right now, um, obviously, I'm still doing lots more self-exploration and, you know, growing in a spiritual manner, um, very much practicing consciousness, but I feel like now I'm ready to share my story on a global platform. Um, just helping people break patterns and barriers that no longer serve them. Culturally, society, every which way. And just showing that to live your true authentic self, we can do far more in this world than living a lie and not serving anybody. Wow, wow. Um what would you tell your parents now if you could speak to them now? What would you tell them about how where you are now from when you lost all them? I would just say thank you for everything. And I'm, I know they're around me anyway because that, to me, is like them guiding me to these better days. So those days when I did feel isolated, lonely, um, suffered depression, anxiety, there were just warning signs from the universe that life is about to change. And But because no one knew how to guide me in that way... I kind of muddled through the mud, came out like the lotus coming out of the mud and just fully now embracing that that was a life-changing moment where although those things were happening, they were happening because life was about to turn and I was going to go in a good positive way 
and you're going to soon learn your purpose in life and for me it's like I'm just here to help people be their true selves and yeah you're amazing Tol so you're Thank amazing you. where can people get more information about you um I'm on Instagram Tulsi Divine 108 I'm on Facebook as Tulsi Vagioni so yeah find me there To be around someone so, and I'm going to use the word, I'm going to say it, inspirational. To go through something so bad and come out the other side and just amazing, just amazing. Um, If you like what we've heard, please do rate the podcast. Please like the podcast. Please share the podcast. We need to spread the word. It's okay. It's not okay. Take Tulsi, for example, and everyone in my previous episodes, all of them have been on a journey. They've not let that hold them back. They've actually used it, embraced it, and done something good with it. You've been listening to Secure the Insecure, sponsored by Jennings & Co. Financial Planning, making financial planning easy to understand. For more information, go to jenningsfp.co.uk. I've been Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.